Hey, God, thanks so much for your word and a chance to open it now. Uh, thanks so much for this, this, uh, just this day, this opportunity for us to come together in a place like this, focus our minds and our hearts on you through song, to, uh, to listen to you know, this, this sermon that I'm going to give, or that you're going to give, I pray through me, get me out of the way, speak in my place, but, but to just interact on a, on, a, on, a, on a level, Lord, where we can change what's going on in our lives and recalibrate what needs to be focused back on you. That's my prayer for this morning. If there's been anything in God that would distract us from making you our all, uh, would you lead us to those things and would you help us to set them aside so that you can be prominent and preeminent in our lives. Uh, that's my prayer for our church. Uh, lead us now in your word, and I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. When we talk about this thing called grace, we talk about it every week, uh, just in some form. I may not have a sermon title or series that says we're talking about grace, but grace is the theme of the Christian faith. Uh, we are not a, a religion or a faith predicated on man's abilities to achieve a relationship with God. We are a faith that says we can't do that. There's nothing in us that's good or redeemable, but God in his infinite love and mercy and grace has reached down to us, and he has given us life through his son, Jesus Christ. So I talk about grace all the time, but we're just kind of focusing in on it, and especially how it's supposed to work. From the very beginnings of my time here with you 12 years ago, uh, I talked about how we're supposed to be these conduits of God's grace, that his grace flows to us, and it's supposed to flow through us to a world that desperately needs to know him. Last week, we talked about the fact that sometimes if, if that conduit's like a hose, uh, we can kick it up. Uh, we can kind of make the flow of grace stop uh, through two primary areas of our lives. Sometimes it's, it's kinked up when we, uh, when we experience times of less. When we go through disappointments and troughs, um, we kind of crater out in our lives and, and, uh, and, we, and we wonder, hey, God, where's the grace? And we get kind of mad at him sometimes. Hey, what, what are you doing in my life? Why, why, why is my life so hard? I thought you were a good God and a loving God and a gracious God. And where's my grace? And, and in the midst of those, those trials and those troubles, uh, uh, we're not supposed to run from God in anger or in disappointment. We're supposed to run to God. And uh, he's going to use those trials as crucibles to burn off all the other things that we could depend on, save him. We talked last week about how God in our times of less should be our contentment and how um, uh, the, the book of Philippians chapter 4 teaches us that uh, Paul says, I can be, or he says this, I can do all things. We said that's not, you know, our rally cry. I can do all things. I'm going to vanquish my foes and conquer. It, it, it just means I can be content in all things through Christ who gives me strength. So can we do all things? Don't get me wrong. I think nothing's impossible with God. There's other verses that teach that. But do I think that you're supposed to do all things? No, apparently not. I've had hard times. Have you? And so it's not that uh, everything's going to be great. It's just when things aren't, I have God, and this is the key. He is my enough. He's enough in any situation I faced in life. We talked about that last week. You can go online and watch that sermon if you weren't here. But uh, today we want to talk about the second thing that we discussed can be kind of a kink in the hose of God's grace, and that's more. Uh, more, as we talk about grace and stuff today, uh, more uh, can be a block to grace. Uh, our stuff gets in the way of our devotion to our God. We are a rich people. Does everybody know that? Now, like most of you got up today and you decided between at least two shirts as to what you were going to wear. Uh, uh, over half the world, that's not a choice. They have the shirt. 
and the pants. Uh, that's their lives. Uh, we, we, we are, even, you know, we have the audacity, uh, about 53% of the world uh, today earns about $2 a day. That's, that's over half of the world's population. Uh, the median salary in our uh, culture is about 100 times that uh, for a year. But we still have the audacity to say, I'm broke sometimes. We, we, we may not have any money with us, but we have. I, uh, I don't even bend over for, for pennies anymore. I mean, it's, it's probably got to be paper before I bend in. Is, there, is anybody else like this? If I see a bill, maybe I'm going down there. But if it's like a, you know, a penny, a quarter, I mean, it's like, come on, I, you know. I don't need that. Why? Because I got so my my kids are getting that way. You know, I'm not I'm not bagging on my kids. I love my kids, but they're just like me. Uh, when they were younger, and I offered uh, to give them a chore that would pay them ten bucks, oh, they'd like beat each other up for it, right? Because they didn't have any resource other sources of, of income. But now they've got their jobs, and uh, there was some Spanish moss laying in our backyard the other day, and I said, hey, I'll give ten bucks to the first person who goes out there and picks it up. By the way, it would probably take them like ten minutes. In fact, when I went and did it, ten minutes. So whatever that factors out to, 10 bucks for 10 minutes, I mean, it's a pretty good hourly wage, right? But could I get either of my kids to go out there for 10 minutes and pick up Spanish moss for 10 bucks? 10 bucks? What? You want me to go outside for $10? I could have played the, you know, dad card and said, get out there, but I was like, I didn't care. Uh, and then I just mowed it all. But uh, that, that's us. We're, we're, we're the halves. In the, in the grand scheme of the world, we are the halves. Welcome to the, to the nation of the halves. And a lot of times uh, in, in our spiritual lives, we allowed what we have to have us. We allowed what we have to become our focus, our, our drive, our, our, our main thing. And it takes us away from what God wants from us and for us. So I want to talk to you about that today. Today's not a giving sermon. I've preached those before. Sometimes things will get a little lean around here, and I've got to kind of beat the drum and remind us all of the importance of giving. Uh, but this isn't a giving sermon. We're, we're, we're a debt-free church. Did you know that? We've paid off our debts. And um, as a debt-free church, uh, we've continued to give, uh, you know, as, and, and there's generous people around here. I hope you're one of them uh, who just understand that, you know, gener- gener- God is generous. God is a God of grace. We need to be generous with what he's given us. Uh, and, and you keep doing that. So this isn't a given sermon. I don't have to preach uh, because we're behind. We're not. Yeah, God. Right? But this is a having sermon. Because what we have, even if we do give, what we have left over can still have us. We can still make it the focus of our lives. And what God came to do in our lives is to save us from the sins of our lives and the stuff of our lives so that we could have him as the sole focus of our lives and move forward in life with him. You know, I'm not talking about giving, but can I just say one thing real quick? I think that the main reason God teaches us to give in the scriptures is not for the recipient of our gifts. Like I, I pray that I never get up and, and preach to you solely for you know, what the church will receive if you give to the church or, or what the project we're giving towards will, 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 will have because you give to that project, whatever it is in the future that we talk about as far as resources. Are you with me? I pray that I get up and I talk to you about giving for what it will do for you. Because I think the main reason that God wants us to give is not for the recipient, 
It's for those of us who give. It's for us to learn that this is the posture of my life. What I have is God's, and if he wants it, he can have it. That's why we give, to remind us it's not ours. So let's talk about that. Here's what I know about stuff having us. What we have has been given to us. First of all, everything you have, and I've said this in so many different ways, I think, in the past you know, years here. Just remind you one more time. If you've got something, it was given to you. You're like, no, Mark, I earned that. Okay. If you earn something, uh, you earned it using the, the body and the, and the skills and the mind that God gave you to earn it. How about that, right? I mean, let's just be reminded. We talked about orange, origins early Earlier this year in, in the book of Genesis, and we read these verses there. In chapter 2, verse 1, it says, Then the Lord God formed the man of, uh, from the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man, Adam, became a, a living creature. Uh, our very existence is given to us. Everybody agree? We were created by God for God. In him we live and move and have our being. Ladies, you came uh, originally out of Adam's rib. But all of us were created by God for God's purposes. And then uh, Adam, the first man, was uh, given this task, the Lord God took the man, he put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. He was the caretaker of the things that God had given him. It wasn't his, it was just his to watch and benefit from and use and give glory to God for. And it's the same today. I don't know what your garden is, where your garden's situated here around our area, but you live in a garden where God has given you many things and it's there for you to take care of and for you to keep. You're just watching it for him. You're a steward of all that you have because it's all been given to you. C.S. Lewis uh, wrote about it uh, in his book, Mere Christianity. He says, every faculty you have, your power of thinking or of moving your limbs from moment to moment is given you by God, if you devoted every moment of your whole life exclusively to his service, next slide, you could not give him anything that was not, in a sense, his own already. So that when we talk of a man doing anything for God or giving anything to God, I will tell you what it's really like. It's like a small child going to its father and saying, Daddy, give me sixpence to buy you a birthday present. C.S. Lewis wrote this back in the 50s. Uh, in England, okay, so sixpence went a long way back then. Uh, of course, it says, the father does, and he is pleased with the child's present. It is all very nice and proper, but only an idiot would think that the father is sixpence to the good on the transaction. When a man has made these two discoveries, referring to something else he was writing about, God can really get to work. It is after this that real life begins. The man's awake now. I was uh, a young father. My, my kids went to Big Lots with their mom. Uh, it was Christmas time, and so Eleanor said, you can pick out anything you want, and as long as it's not too expensive, we'll get it for your dad. We'll wrap it up put it under the tree. So I went out under the tree on Christmas morning, and I, uh, I saw all these gifts from my kids. First time I'd ever had gifts from my kids. And the first one, they didn't, like, put it in a box. They just kind of wrapped it in its form. I knew right away it was a, a mixing bowl. It was a huge, like, uh, Mixing bowl you'd see at a restaurant, silver mixing bowl. And I, I turned to the son who gave me that, and I was like, dude, why, why'd you give me a mixing bowl? And then, you know, five, six-year-old uh, Cooper says, well, I know you like cereal. <laughs> I was like, well, I don't want to eat a whole box. He's like, well, sometimes you have two bowls, Dad, so I thought maybe you just want to. <laughs> All right, well, 
Thanks, bro. Next box I open is from uh, Ben, and it's a, it's a, it's a pack of a tablespoons, 10 tablespoons. I'm like, tablespoons? What, I mean, for the cereal thing again? He's like, no, we've taken all the tablespoons, and, and uh, we've lost them. And sure enough, I went to our kitchen, and I was like, oh, yeah, we're like down to like our last two or three tablespoons. These birds, had, you know, they'd gone out in our yard and dug holes with tablespoons as little boys and then buried them in our backyard. People are going to do an archaeological dig in Carrollton, Texas, and they're going to find this layer of, of, you know, humanity that it was all tablespoons. They're going to be like, what was going on with this house? They kept burying their silverware. Um, so Ben got me, you know, makeup silverware. Uh, Kai, uh, you know, she was just kind of really young, and so I think Eleanor helped her. She got me some tube socks, and I still get a pair of socks every year for Christmas uh, as, as kind of a joke around that. But, uh, uh, yeah, I, I turned to Eleanor, and I was like, wait a minute. I bought all this, didn't I? She's like, yeah, you, you paid for all that. But it did, did it rob me of the joy of seeing my kids want to give to me? No. But had they really given to me? No, they'd taken what I'd given them. And they wrapped it up for me on Christmas. Uh, that's, that's every day you wake up to. Every day you wake up to, to, to the relationships that you treasure, to the homes that keep you comfortable and safe, to the cars that drive you to that job that you're not really fond of, but even to that job that you've been given that supports you and your family, everything you have is the gift of God. It's the grace of God in your life. What we have has been given to us. But what we have can all too quickly have us. That's what I want to talk about today. Remember the story that Jesus, uh, or it's told in the book of Luke where Jesus meets, uh, meets this rich young ruler. Remember him? Here's his story. Uh, basically, this guy comes up and he says, hey, what do I got to do to be saved? And Jesus says, well, keep all the commandments. He actually lists four of the big ten, the ten commandments. He says, have you done this? Have you done this? Have you done this? And the guy says, got it, nailed it, been there, done that, got the T-shirt. And then Jesus says this, hey, um, one thing you still lack then. Sell all that you have and distribute the proceeds to the poor. And he says this, and this will be a theme of the morning. Then you're going to have what? Treasure in heaven. Then you'll have a spiritual treasure. Something that's not of this world, but is still of immeasurable worth. He says, then you can come and follow me. What was he saying? He says, can I go back? Go back real quick. He says, uh, Here's what you do. You still act. Sell all that you what? He, he might as well have just said, sell everything that has you. Get rid of everything that has you. Get rid of everything that matters more to you than me. And then he says, uh, then it tells us that the, the, the young man, uh, when he heard these things, he became very sad. Why? Because apparently he was like Bill Gates rich. He was like extremely rich. He had lots of stuff. Jesus said this about rich people. He says, ah, how difficult it is for those who have uh, wealth to enter the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. He says, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now, he didn't say that rich people cannot enter the kingdom of God. Is anybody grateful? Because all of America is out, if that's true, okay? Like, we're all rich. And if rich people can't get into the kingdom, well, let's just go home. We're, we're done because we're all rich, okay? But he's not talking about the amounts that we have. He's not talking about, you know, where we are compared to the rest of the world's population. He, he's saying, listen, it's so hard for people who have stuff not to let it have them 
to the point where they understand their incredible spiritual need and they fall humbly on their face before a God who can save them. It's so hard for people who have stuff to admit that, to even realize that. Because why? Because their devotion, their hearts are for the stuff that they have instead of the God who's given it to them. Uh, Monday, I found out that my kids were uh, all supposed to go on a family vacation with us this summer that I'd already bought plane tickets for, okay? Going up north to Boston, Fenway Park, all the, everything. Um, uh, we're supposed to stay eight days. Uh, two of them have taken college classes during the summer, which is great. I'm, I'm wanting them to finish and expediate and all that stuff. But two of them have taken classes that are going to now overlap this vacation time. And it would be unwise for them to be gone that whole time and miss their college classes. So I got to go in and, you know, rearrange these tickets. If you've ever had to do this, you know what it's like. Uh, it used to be a lot easier. But now if you buy plane tickets on certain sites, we'll, you know, I'll name a, an air carrier. We'll just call it uh, Pet Glue, okay? Um, <clears throat> if you go onto their website and buy tickets, uh, they got all kinds of ways to get more money for you if you, if you ever want to s- switch them. Like you got to pay 70 bucks just to even start the conversation and then you got to pay the difference of the ticket's price from when you bought it to whatever it is today. So what it ends up happening is that my kids, so that they can stay a shorter time and have less vacation, I have to pay twice as much now for them to fly. Now, they're going to help me because they, you know, they got these jobs now that keep them from picking up our Spanish moss. They're going to help me, all right? <laughs> but still, that's how I started my Monday. Bummer. That was an expensive Monday. Found out the next day that the the insurance that I thought we were going to have to cover my, my daughter had a car for three days. We bought her a car. Uh, she had a car for three, day, three days, and she ran it into my neighbor's uh, cinder block mailbox. Took, just took it out. Just blam. Just gone, right? Nobody was hurt. Uh, she's embarrassed, of course, but, uh, uh, but she took this mailbox up the side of her car. I mean, it just dented and scratched and messed up the bumper. I mean, it's just, it's a mess. Three days. It's an old car, but three days she's had it. Is everybody with me? Dads? Hug. Okay. Uh, but, you know, that's why we got insurance. And so I, uh, you know, I called up the insurance and they gave me the impression that, you know, we'll cover that and all this stuff. But then they called me back a week later after I'd been waiting for the claim to, you know, be finalized. And uh, they said, oh, Mr. Saunders, I don't know if you recall this, but when you insured this car, you asked not to pay for the collision insurance, which would pay for this accident because it was her fault and all this stuff. And so we're not going to be able to get your claim. Okay, car runs, she can drive it everywhere, uh, but here's the deal. I don't know about you, does it just bother you when your stuff's not right? I mean, if there's something, it's not even the car I drive, but it's a car I own, a car, it's, it's, it's tied to my name, and I just don't like it looking like a hoopty, right? <laughs> I want it to be right and solid and firm. I want my daughter to be driving around in a car that, you know, she can hold her head high in, Right? And it just bothered me. And I was like, oh, if I'm going to do this now because I want to, you know, make my stuff look good, I've got to pay the money, blah, blah, blah. And listen, my friend Don always teases me, you know, just get up and preach it and someone will buy you a car. That's not why I'm preaching this. Because <laughs> that's, listen, that's by God's grace. I preached about a guitar like eight years ago. My son broke my guitar. By the end of that Sunday, I had two other guitars. And that's not why I'm preaching this at all. <clears throat> at all. And so... Don't help us with our cars. Here's why I think it happened, though. That was Monday, the jet blue, Tuesday, the insurance. You know why it happened? God knew I was preaching this. And, and, and this, this sermon's a very personal sermon for me because I am a creature of comforts. I like this world. 
I am blessed, like all of you, to have comfortable things. You know, to have a fleet of cars now with these children. All of them old and beat up, but they're, you know, there's a lot of cars at my house. Um, we're, we're comfortable in these things. And God knew I was going to be preaching about having stuff that has you. And so he started to kind of loosen my grip on some stuff. Take a little bit more out of my bank account than I thought was going to go. Are you with me? And I'm totally cool with that. Because it's just, everybody look at me, it's just stuff. It's of this world. I'm playing an away game. So are you. If you're, a fall, if you're a child of the king or a child of God like we were singing about, this is an away game. This isn't your home. This isn't, this, isn't our, this isn't what we're about, this world and what it can offer us. If we're serious about Jesus, we understand that we are just passing through. This is all going to go away, that we have an eternity to spend with him in riches that we can't even begin to fathom because of his grace for us. And yet we'd rather, in C.S. Lewis's book, in another section of it, we'd rather uh, uh, make mud pies in the ditch out in front of our house than go on vacation. He, he talks in there about how a child given the choice between mud pies and a great vacation on the beach doesn't understand the vacation on the beach. He's never been, but he likes his mud pies. And so many of us, we're just consumed with our mud pies. So the time that I have left, I just want to, uh, give you uh, from God's uh, scriptures and from what Jesus says in, in, in the book of Matthew uh, some, some ideas about how we keep stuff from having us. How do, how do we keep what we have from having us? And there's just three things. Three things that Jesus in these few verses just reminds us to put our, our hearts on and our minds on as we're moving forward, making sure he's our primary in life. The first one is to invest well. Invest well. Uh, I hope you're uh, shrewd with what God has stewarded to you. You're not just got throwing it away. Uh, when you make investments, you, you, you count the cost and measure you know, the, the returns. And, and if you're in business, you're, you know, you're trying to make a profit. I don't, I don't think it's wrong to have things or to be wise in those things. God tells us to be shrewd managers of what he's stewarded to us. Uh, but what, uh, what we need to understand is that uh, when he talks about investing well in this text, he's not talking about our stuff. He's talking about our lives, our greatest asset. Strip everything else in this life away, but our greatest asset is, is ourselves, is, is what we have, who we are. And Jesus is talking to a crowd in this section of Scripture called the Sermon on the Mount, and this is what he says to them. He says, don't lay up for yourselves. Don't invest yourself uh, in treasures here on earth. Uh, it's where moths and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal moths. Uh, moths, it had to do with the fact that clothing was of, of a high value back then. Clothing, it, see, even today, can kind of be a, a sign of wealth if you have really nice clothes. But back then, it was definitely a, a determiner of wealth. If you had any color in your robes at all, you were of a certain success level. If you had more than one robe to wear and people saw you actually changing clothes and having something different the next day, another layer or another level of success and prestige. You read about the Pharisees, and they wore these resplendent robes, and they were you know, very just so uh, because of their clothing. Clothing was a sign. Just maybe like it was for me when I was in middle school. When I was in middle school, it was all about the uh, alligator on your, you know, your uh, golf shirt and, uh, and, and, and the red tag on your Levi's. I had to have red tag Levi's. And I couldn't afford those things at all. My dad was po, 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 po. 
And so, um, so I would go to this kind of like a, uh, you know, a pumped up Goodwill. It's called the Bargain Center in Quincy, Massachusetts. And I would buy irregular clothes. I mean, I would wear clothes that like one sleeve was shorter than the other. But as long as it had the alligator on it, right? I would actually buy socks with the alligator on it, take the fox off the J.C. Penny shirt, and I would take the alligator off the alligator socks, and I would sew it onto my fox shirt. Condemn me if you want, but that's what it took in the middle school that I went to, right? Well, what does Jesus say about clothing? It's temporary. Don't, don't, don't put all your energy towards how you look, because the moths are going to come in and destroy it. Don't, don't worry about your physical appearance. You're going to get old. And you're just not going to look like that always, right? He says, he says listen, don't, don't, don't worry about the, the stuff that rust destroys. This is actually the Greek word brosis. Everybody say brosis. And it's actually translated almost everywhere else in the New Testament as, as what its words really mean. It's just food, the consumption of food. But uh, scholars here, as they're you know, translating the New Testament, they, they think it means rust. And, and I think it just means uh, the rotting of food, where, where moth and rot can destroy. And then it goes on and says, and don't store up treasures that thieves can steal. I think back to this Jewish crowd. They didn't have, you know, Chase Bank or any of these other banks. They didn't have automatic deposit on their checks. If, if they got paid something, if they accrued anything, if they had precious metals or jewels, which was what the monetary, you know, uh, system was based on, uh, they had to keep it in their house somewhere. No safes, kind of bury it in a hole, you know. Remember the story of the, uh, you know, the, the three men who were given you know, uh, different numbers of talents, and one dude buried it in his backyard. That was the bank of the day. That's how you kept your stuff safe. But he says, listen, man, if someone sees where you're burying that stuff, if someone squeezes it out of you at a dinner party and then goes to your house when you're not there, guess what? That money that you were counting on for whatever was next in your life, it's, it can be taken from you. It can be gone. And listen, we've, we've, we've grown up in an economy where that's true, right? Where where jobs leave, where uh, uh, house values plummet, right? Jesus says, hey, man, don't be banking on stuff. Stuff goes away. It's temporary. Instead, he says, no, no, go back to the last verse. He says, instead, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't steal. You, you got you to invest this life that you have in the stuff of the internal, not the stuff of the temporary. Paul was writing his buddy Timothy, and uh, keep, keep going, I'm going to keep going. As for the rich in this present, this is what Paul says to Timothy. He says, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty. Hey, tell rich people not to get all proud and, you know, uppity about what they have. Remind them that everything they have has been given to them. There's nothing to get fussed out over if you've got a bunch. He says, nor remind them not to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Look, it says in verse 18, it says, they are to do good with what they've been given, to be rich in good works, to be generous, ready to share. This is 
what we should do with what's been entrusted to us. And, and they should store up instead treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. You know, all this chatter and talk and, and show and tell, you know, you go to someone's house and they got the new toy or the new TV or theirs is 70 inches and yours is only 50, you know. Uh, all this comparison that we do. Paul says to Timothy, hey man, help people take their eyes off of this and put their eyes onto this to turn their hearts and their focus towards heaven and to seek to make much of that situation. You can't take it with you. Stuff of this earth, moth, rot, thieves, it's going to go away. You can't take it with you. There's no... U-Hauls hooked up to hearses. Right? You just, you die, and then you're done, and then you're food for worms. There, that's a happy thought. Have fun with that, right? But that's it. And we spend, so many of us, especially in our culture, the American culture, we spend our lives getting ahead. For what? Sure, we may be more comfortable. Sure, we may have more to leave to other people. But I'm with the theologian Biggie Smalls. More money? No problems, right? That's just how it is. This, uh, this, this rich guy died, and he thought he could take it with him. In fact, he didn't want his family. He was kind of, you know, a, a, a stingy, Scrooge-like guy, and so he didn't want his family to have his money. And so he took some of his money out, and he gave it to three of his friends. He had a pastor and a doctor and a lawyer that were his friends. And he says, listen, at my funeral, I want you to take this. He gave him $100,000 each in, a, in an envelope. He says, I want you to take this $100,000, and I want you to put it in my coffin when no one else is looking so that when I die, the money goes with me and it doesn't go to them. So there they went to the funeral, and these guys walked up and did just as they were told. They put this envelope in. Nobody, you know, people thought it was a note or something like that, but they put that in there. And, uh, and, and, and then they went to the reception afterward, and they were all friends themselves, and so they were talking about, you know, what a great day it was, and they found out that, that each of them had been given this, you know, what'd you put in the office? Oh, well, he gave, he gave me some money. Oh, he, get, he did the same thing, and they figured out. And, and then finally the pastor started. He said, hey, I just got to confess this. I took $10,000 out of the envelope because one of the mission trips that our youth group is doing was way behind, and I knew if they had this $10,000, they could go on their mission trip. So I took 10 out, and I only put 90 in. And the doctor says, oh, what a relief. There's this one patient of mine. They totally need this surgery. They don't have the money to pay for it. It's just going to crush their family. So I took 20 grand out of my wallet or my envelope, and I gave it to this family anonymously so that they could get the surgery that they needed and their family member could survive. And the lawyer just looked at them in disgust. A pastor, a doctor, unbelievable. And they said, well, so you put the whole thing? He says, no, I wrote a personal check and I put it in the envelope, and then I put it in his casket. <laughs> Sorry, lawyers. <laughs> Could have been a plumber, I don't know. Could have been anybody. But on both sides, it shows, you know, what greed can do to somebody, right? Can't take it with you. I, uh, I think about the story that Jesus told about a rich man and a guy named Lazarus. Uh, this rich man was uh, just living high on the hog, and Re Lazarus was this poor guy just waiting outside of his house, and the dogs, it says, would come and lick his wounds. He was just sickly. 
Now, he would just wait for crumbs to fall from this rich man's table so he could have something to eat. And the rich man never paid any mind to him. Well, they both died. Guess which direction, uh, direction Lazarus went? He went up because God uh, rescues the humble and the poor in spirit, the lowly, right? Which way did the rich guy go? Down. And it's one of the only scenes that we have in all of Scripture where someone from hell is talking about hell uh, to God, and, and, and Lazarus is kind of there as part of that conversation. And, 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 and the, the rich man is in hell, and he says, oh, let me go back and just let my family and my friends know of the folly of pursuing the stuff of this earth if I had it to do over. But he didn't. It's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Because all too often, the stuff that we have has us. We need to invest well. We need to focus well. We need to focus well. Look what it says here. It says, the eye is the lamp of the body. Jesus is speaking uh, metaphorically now or uh, you know, analogously, he says, so if your eye is, is uh, healthy, your whole body will be full of light. Verse 23, but if your eye is bad, then your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, then how great is the darkness? I can see you guys right now because I'm wearing corrective lenses. If I take these off, everybody got a little blurry just now, right? And, and what Jesus is saying is saying, hey, I know you're born with bad eyes, I know that you're, you're thinking that everything in life, the, the most important things in life, are the things that you see on this plane, but I'm here to give you eyes that let the light in. I'm here to refocus you on what really does matter, and that's my kingdom and the things that I can give you. He says, if, if, if the darkness is your light, how dark is that light? How dark is your darkness if you think it's the light of your life? Another way of thinking of it is that I can't go where my eyes aren't pointed. The, the reason my daughter had a, a car accident is because her phone fell and she went to grab it over in her driver's side seat. And so she was looking here and her steering wheel went with her. And that's why my neighbor doesn't have a mailbox. That's why texting is so dangerous because anything you're looking at has your focus and your attention. And anything you're supposed to be looking at, well, it doesn't. So the stuff of this earth, he says, don't be distracted by it. Don't be pulled off of what's most important. If I focus on the temporary and the material, my whole life heads in that direction. I become enamored with stuff, and I forget my God. Here's what God did to me as I was preparing this sermon. Uh, he, he brought me to some questions. I want to share them with you and let you ask them of yourselves. You ready? The first question that uh, God kind of led me to in, in, in my thinking about my focus and my investment of my life is what do I spend my free time thinking about, dreaming of, or fretting over? I mean, you guys are going to leave here. You're going to have, you know, time to sit in your cars on the way to work in the morning and, and think things. What, what do you spend your time and your mind thinking about, dreaming of, or fretting over? Is it all stuff that has to do with stuff? Are you worried about having enough are you uh, dreaming of having more? Are you thinking about all the ways that you're going to use earthly stuff? Now, listen, I'm not down on stuff. I got some. You got some. It's just how much of it has us. Is it, is, is it the focus of our lives? Second question, how do we measure the worth of other people? 
Like, what do we esteem in other people? Do we esteem in other people uh, things like uh, material success? You know, they, they've climbed the corporate ladder. Their, their business is successful. I want to pattern my business after them because I want to be successful. And listen, I'm not preaching a poverty theology. I'm not saying that, that Christians should not do everything that they do to the glory of God. Go out there and work hard in your jobs. Go out there and, and seek to succeed. If we're going to be generous, we've got to have things to be generous with. Go, go try to achieve. Are you with me? I'm not preaching to be lazy. But if you're, if, if you're out there and you're looking at, at the role models of your life and it's all people who have achieved earthly status, earthly success, they have more stuff and you aspire to stuff as opposed to aspiring to a, a deeper and more meaningful and honoring relationship with God, then something might be out of whack. Michael Irvin was a receiver for the Dallas Cowboys back in the 90s when they were winning Super Bowls. He lived in one of the neighborhoods of, of, of one of the life groups that was a part of the youth group I was a pastor of. And so one night, he had a spiritual experience after some hard times. If you remember the stories uh, of those uh, Cowboy teams, there was some pretty crazy stuff going on. And, and Irvin had a spiritual experience. And so he knew that this one family in his neighborhood went to our church and he saw a bunch of cars pack, parked out in front, and so he just decided to go over. Maybe they're going to be studying the Bible or something. He just poked his head in, and it's a bunch of high school students. And they're looking at the dude that they watch play football on Sundays, and they're losing their ever-loving minds. Kids and leaders alike. I mean, the, the Bible study stopped because here comes Michael Irvin, rich, talented, uh, uh, famous, powerful, Right? And the entire night went away from the Bible and on to Michael Irvin. Everybody just wanted to hear the, the Mike stories. Tell us Mike stories. And they walked home that night, and did they uh, go home regaling you know, uh, their parents with stories of what they learned in the Scripture? No, Mike came. Mike came. You know, all too often we settle for being like Mike. I know that's for the other Mike, but... Uh, we, we want to be like someone who we esteem as successful, and we see that as, as the end-all, be-all in our lives. But I'm here to tell you that when God looks at the world, he does not look at the most powerful dudes with the most money and the most success and say, that's my man. He looks at the ones who say, you know what? God matters most. And whatever I do have, no matter how meager, it's his, it's available to him. And I will live my life in service to him, humbly, so that he has all of me. Third question, what could you not live without? In fact, turn to someone next to you and just answer that. Don't try to think about it. Just what could you not live without? What is the one thing you could not live without? Tell, tell someone next to you. What's the one thing you could not live without? Okay, you want to know mine? It's right here. Kind of lame, right? An iPad. My wife makes fun of me all the time. She says, it's like sewn to my side. I got one set on my desk at work, and I use it all the time for my work. I preach out of one. I got one when I get home. Literally, if I'm not sitting down eating with my family, I go pick up my iPad, and it's just always by me. Why? Well, because it's awesome. And you can Google things with it. And if, if conversations get kind of slow with people in your house, you can pop it on and start watching the Red Sox game because I got the app, okay? Are you with me? Some of you are appalled by that. But everybody's got whatever your iPad is. Everybody's got something. They're like, oh, I got to have that. It's my cell phone. Some of you are that, oh, I got to have my phone. Got to have my truck. You know, love my truck. <laughs> you know what the right answer to that was? What's the one thing you can live without on this world? 
On this, on this plane, nothing. You're like, hey, but what about people, Mark? People live without, it's, it's sad. I'm not saying it's not hard, but people live without people. Why? Because people are of this worth, of this earth. They are, they are we are, we are uh, in decay. There's another happy thought. Hope you have a great lunch. We're in decay. We're, we're, we're ending. Every one of us in here is ending. We're not going to be here always. I pray that I go before Eleanor because I don't want to live life without my wife. But if I had to, by the grace of God, I could do it. Is it your home? You know, you can live other places. No, I couldn't. I always get scared when people say, Mark, I, I'd do anything, but I'm not giving up my house. Oh, careful. Because if you say in any conversation, and I'm not, you know, one of these, you know, behind every bush is a demon or, you know, superstitious Christians. But I believe that if you hold on to something too tight and you say, God, anything but this, God's coming for this. Because this is what stands between you and him. Because in the end, everyone has to choose our master. We have to serve the right master. And that's the last thing Jesus teaches us here in this little portion of Matthew. He says, no one can serve two masters. Rather, he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. And then he, he puts it into context for us when he says you can't serve God. And here he says money. But he's, he's ba- he might as well just be saying you can't serve God in anything else. Why? <laughs> because when we started this covenant with God, uh, we, we entered into an all-in covenant promise with God. When, when Jesus was asked, hey, what's the most important uh, commandment in all of scriptures? He goes to Deuteronomy, and he says to this guy who asked him, he says, love the Lord your God. And what's the next Two words, with how much? All. you got to love me with all. Your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. I want it all. I don't want anything competing with my all. I want your all because I've given you my all. It's an all-in-all relationship. You bring yours, I'll bring mine. It's a covenant. I'm not meant to share you with anything else. I'm not meant to share your focus with anything else. You should not invest your life in anything else. I am your all. God says, I've given you all. And when it comes to our relationship, I want your all. Can you imagine going to a wedding where the husband and wife say their vows, and as they're about to walk down the aisle, he stops her and he says, babe, real quick, I want to introduce you to my girlfriend. Can you imagine that wedding? (laughs) Having just said all these vows and covenanting for better, for worse, richer, for poorer, sickness and in health, you know, uh, to the day I die, I, I'm with you. And then saying, I meant that, but I'm going to have to, you know, share you with this other person. And I just want to make sure you know her. That, that's not going to end well. <laughs> I don't want to go to that wedding. I, I want uh, everybody duck is what I'm thinking right there, right? But we do that all the time. The bridegroom, Jesus, comes to us and he says, you're my bride. And he calls the church. And all of us who are members of the church, he says, come to me. Let's make this covenant. I'll give you my life. You give me yours. And then we say to him, yeah, I love that. But it, when, when you say to give you your, my all, here's what I think you mean. I, th- I think you mean Sunday. Sunday for an hour. I will, I'll count the drive time. Sunday for two hours. I'll give you my all. That's my all. And then, then the rest of the time is mine. Or I'll, I'll give you my all, as long as it doesn't get in the way of my relationships here on the earth, as long as it doesn't get in the way of the things that I have here on earth, as long as it doesn't impede or impinge on my, my desire for success in my business or in my career, as long as, as long as I can fit you in to the stuff that matters to me most here on this earth, 
then that's what I think all means. And God looks at us and he says, you don't understand all at all. Everything that you're worshiping, I've, I've given to you. Everything that you're worshiping, I have the power to take from you. And yet you still choose to worship created things over the creator. You still <laughs> desire to, to focus on the temporary instead of the internal. And, and, and God wants, there's, listen, if I know anything, I know that God wants to do amazing things in me, to me, and through me. He wants, to, he wants my life to make a difference. He wants your lives to be the same. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, he didn't save you so that you could love stuff more than him. He saved you so that you could have your all. We're going to close a prayer like this. Everybody just kind of bow your heads. And if you would, just put your hand out like this. And some of you may have been, not have been tracking with me for the last, you can just bow your heads. Put it on your lap, whatever you want to do it. You may not have been tracking with me at all until this very point. Here's the deal. If this is the only thing you got out of this morning, let this be the thing that God uses to change your life. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask you to ask God to tell you whatever on this earth is standing between you and him. Whatever in your life that, that you have that has you, I want you to picture it in your hand as God leads you to it, and then I'm going to pray that God would allow us to give that back to him, and in its place, we'd have him and him only. Just be quiet. Let God talk to you. Ask him, what is it that I have that has me? God, it's a room uh, of, of palms up people right now, and I trust by your spirit you've, you've spoken to uh, each heart in here, and you've revealed in us the things that we might value more than you, the things that we would hold in higher esteem than, than you and our relationship with you. God, I want to thank you for those things because I know everything we have, you've given us. So if that's a person or a place or a possession that we're holding in our palms right now, thank you for those things, first of all. But forgive us, God. Forgive us for making those ultimate, for allowing those things to displace you from your proper spot in our, in our lives. We want to we make you first. We want to have you as our all, God. And, and we're going to um, be willing, Lord, to relinquish whatever possession we have uh, for the sake of us following you. So if you need us to be generous in giving away whatever stands between uh, us and you, uh, lead us to that. If, if, uh, if we need to write our thinking about the people and the places and, and the stuff that we own, uh, help us with that, God. But in all things, would you be first in our lives? Help us to seek you first in your kingdom and let everything else be added by you after that. Lead us to that and uh, free us, God, to have grace flow in us, to us, and through us. And I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.